Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the astrological forecast for August of 2021. Joining me today are astrologers Chani Nicholas and Austin Kopic. Hey, welcome, guys. Hi. Hey. Hey. All right. And we're going to be looking at the forecast for um, August. Let me do a quick animation to give you sort of an overview of the month. And then after that, we will jump into a detailed breakdown to give a, a day by day and week by week play, but uh, sort of play of the coming month. All right. So here's the animation for the month that was prepared by Hugh Tran. So we go into August, of course. Part of the backdrop is Jupiter has just recently retrograded back into Aquarius. And then right away on the first of the month, the Sun conjoins Mercury in the sign of Leo, and both of them oppose the planet Saturn, which is in Aquarius. The following week, we get our first lunation of the month, which is a new moon in the sign of Leo on the 8th of August, followed by Mercury departing from Leo and moving into its home sign of Virgo on the 11th of August. After that, Venus moves into her home sign of Libra on the 16th, and then we get one of our big movements of the month in terms of outer planets, which is Uranus stationing retrograde in Taurus on August 19th. Um, after that, the following week, we get our second lunation of the month, which is a full moon in Aquarius, uh, actually our second full moon in Aquarius because there was one just previously towards the end of July as well, actually the same day that we're recording. And then immediately after that, the sun moves into Virgo both of those occurring on the same day on August 22nd. Uh, finally, the last transits of the month are Mercury departing from Virgo and moving into Libra on August 30th. So that's the basic animation and basic overview for the month. So welcome both of you, Austin. We just established that we've done like 60 forecast episodes no, together. 80. Some, 80, is that what we came up with? Okay. It was 72 uh, plus, you know, Half a dozen, dozen. Okay. Well, when we when we hit like a hundred, I think that's the point where you you achieve mastery. Um, <laughs> joining us this month, uh, Kelly Surtees is taking the month off again. She's still in the process of relocating back to Canada from Europe, and so our special guest co-host is Chani Nicholas, who is the author of "You Were Born for This," as well as uh, the author creator of the po popular uh, self titled Chani app, which like lots of people are using at this point. And I'm really excited about. Uh, welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Love yeah. and props to Kelly. We miss her. <laughs> yeah. I'll do my best to fill in as the token woman and also Canadian. So kind of like swapping. Right. Yeah. It is big shoes, um, but we're, we're excited to have you today. And um, yeah, your book has become one of like the book that I've actually been recommending new students of astrology lately. It just came out last year. So I know that was. Maybe you're already getting away from it since it's been a while, but is that still something um, you're hearing a lot about or still promoting? Or how's the book launch? How did that go? I mean, the book launch was wild because it happened. I literally launched on, in like beginning of January 2020. So everywhere I went, everyone, of course, asked the question, like, how's the astrology for 2020? Right. <laughs> and every one of my talks, I was like, um, <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Or I would say I'm not going to answer that question because I don't want to bring everybody down. Um, so I felt I felt like it was wild to get that kind of in under the closing gates of 2020. Um, but it was yeah. it was an amazing 
you know, it was an amazing thing. It was, I'm happy. It feels like a thousand years ago. Yeah. And right. um, so, so much has happened, but recommend it. Right. That, that, in the old world, but that's a good point. Cause I remember yeah. I bought it at like a Barnes and Noble and that would have been like one of the last books that I walked into a physical store to buy uh, right before the pandemic. Oh my God. Question, Channing, when you yeah. were done and then it was finally out, did you never want to write another book again? Because uh, that's how I felt when I when I when I was finally done with Faces a million years ago. I was like, okay, I don't think I need to write for another five years. Yeah, um, I'm wondering if you were you hungry for more? Were you unfazed, or did you need what felt like a long break? I mean, you know, Austin, you and I have talked about this, but like I felt such an incredible hangover. I, I am not somebody who finds it like easy and wonderful to like celebrate myself or so having a book, I don't know, like writing online for so long is one thing, but putting something into a book is a whole other process. And energetically, it was just, it was a real kind of initiation for me. And I had absolutely no interest in ever doing it again. Um, I, next year, I do go into a Mercury perfection year, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but we just also went immediately into doing the app. So, you know, why wait? So I launched the book at the beginning of 2020 and then the app at the end of 2020. So um, by the beginning of 2021, I was like, wow, <laughs> that wasn't so smart. Um, so now I'm just trying to stabilize everything, I think. But yeah, yes. I did not. I did not ever want to do that ever again. It took me about and five years to want to write a book again, and then I didn't true. have time. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and the app uh, is available for iPhone. And you said that you actually recently integrated Chiron into it, which was a feature a lot of people had been asking for. Well, it's a feature that we promised since the beginning of the okay. app's launch, and it just took us longer than we thought. So Chiron is finally in the app. And you can read about your Chiron by sign and house and any conjunctions it might make, and then also by transit. So we're folding it in there. Do you think Chiron was, felt wounded to not be originally included? <laughs> Listen, let me tell you, the process was painful. <laughs> the process actually exposed a lot that we needed to understand. So it was all very apropos. Brilliant. Um, why don't we get into the forecast first with just an overview of some of the major stuff happening this month, and then we'll go into sort of a step-by-step -step breakdown uh, chronologically. Why don't we start with the big sort of elephant in the room at this point, which I, I believe is it actually happens at the tail end of July, but it sort of sets the backdrop for the entire month, which is Jupiter retrograding back into Aquarius and returning back into Aquarius where it left way back in May when it moved into Pisces for a few months. Um, but it retrogrades back into Aquarius on July 28th, and then it basically stays there for the rest of rest of the year, for the second half of 2021. So that's part of, I think, the main thing that sort of overshadows the entire month of, of August at this point, right? I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't use the term overshadow. I would say under underpins, right? It, it's part of the new configure, the new the new setup, the new understructure for things. Um, it's not going to be like, oh my God, Jupiter's in Aquarius every day, but like it's a shift, and it's as you said, it's a rest of the year thing, right? It, in a sense, you could um, you could have cut twenty twenty one into three pieces, right? The first, like Jupiter in Aquarius one, then Jupiter in Pisces, then Jupiter in Aquarius two. Mm -hmm. 
chapters of eh, similar length, not not exactly equal, but you know, a little over, a little under four months each. Yeah, and and so part of the context then going into that is the feeling of what it's been like with Jupiter and Pisces over the past few months, which started out really amazing. Like everything, it suddenly seemed very optimistic, and like places were opening up, and. Um, the world was almost going back to normal. It was almost for a little, very brief period of time of Jupiter and Pisces. It was like almost as if a pandemic had never happened, and we were back to pre-March of 2020 times. I mean, that was kind of my experience walking around Denver and seeing people filling up um, restaurants and stuff. Was that your experience as well, or what did you guys see? Yeah, I mean, we're recording this while Jupiter is still in Pisces, so I'm also like hanging on to every last moment of it. Um, yeah, I feel like I was like, I'm going to drink this Kool-Aid. I am going to have this party. <laughs> I'm going to have this good time. It was very, I felt like most of it was, it felt very like opulent and free. And I think we're just so starving for some kind of shift and the slipperiness of the the Piscean, you know, Jupiter was so, um, it it allowed for so much bonding to happen. I feel like there was this like, opening and uh, allowance and a yes after so much no and so much Saturnian like you know space between us um so it did feel like that and I I was like you know this is not gonna last and this is not you know necessarily the be-all end-all of it of anything but I felt like I was so dehydrated from so much Saturn that I was just like gulping uh, down the Jupiter and Pisces. So, and I feel like, you know, like everyone's doing that. I, I don't feel that much difference yet. Again, Jupiter's still in Pisces while we're recording. So um, I don't feel like I know the variants are around and stuff, but I don't feel like it's actually landed in any way if it's going to land in some way that's going to restructure us yet again. So, but yeah, yeah. it was a good pride. Yeah, good pride, and there's just like a ton of people packing um, for the the parades and different stuff. Yeah, and just people being able to party again. It was like, and also to be outside. It's the summertime. It's not like Jupiter went in Pisces in December, January, February. It was like, it, at least sorry, I'm being hemispherically biased, but in the northern hemisphere to have that after that long winter and and. To, have, to feel so trapped for so long and then to have spring and summer with that like additional little boost felt very decadent. Yeah, definitely. And it's weird just how visceral those feelings of like hope and optimism and other things were and have been over the past few months in comparison to just the heavy Saturn themes that we've been dealing with over the yeah. past year or so. And then we had cancer season with it. So then, you know, everything that was going through cancer got that little bump from Jupiter. And it was like in the midst of the Saturn Mars opposition, it was like uh, a good dose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, and to be fair, Jupiter will go back into Pisces. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like we, you know, we say, oh, it's temporary. A long it's, six it, was months, it was just a five. lie. It's like, no, we just have to do what about five months of Jupiter in Aquarius with Saturn again. And then we mm -hmm. do Jupiter and Pisces, and then we do Jupiter and Aries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing, though, is that Jupiter, we always knew that there was some sort of skipped step or there was something that was unfinished business that Jupiter would have to go back into Aquarius to fix. And 
Um, so one of the things that was funny that happened in terms of dates and just recounting some stuff is um, the mask restriction in the U.S. at least was dropped nationally by the CDC on May 13th, which was like the day or within 24 hours of Jupiter ingressing into Pisces. So one of the CNN headlines was, people vaccinated against COVID-19 can go without masks indoors and outdoors, CDC says. And now in retrospect, now that Jupiter like stationed retrograde and is going back into Aquarius, they're rethinking that, whether that was actually a good idea, because originally it was intended to encourage people, more people to get vaccinated. But now due to some of the, the COVID variants, like the Delta variant that started showing up um, in late June when Jupiter stationed retrograde in Pisces, um, now there's like pressure on the CDC to change its mask guidance. So I just saw an NPR headline this week that said, quote unquote, public health experts call on the CDC to change its mask guidance. So there's things like that. And one of the things we saw in December, of course, when Jupiter and Saturn conjoined in Aquarius was um, the release of the vaccines and the public release of the vaccines all of a sudden. And so I had wondered if that return of Jupiter to Aquarius wasn't some further development that needed to take place with the vaccines or their implementation. And now recently, there's stories about um, booster shots like being recommended, especially for people that have a compromised immune system and notions of people getting a third shot or more in the future in order to cover some of the variants. Yeah, well, and it's also just, you know, uh, with Jupiter retrograding back, right, that second phase, um, the uh, even though it's not much, you still have like six record, six months of track records for various vaccines. You can see how things perform. You can do some evaluation you couldn't do ahead of time. Um, and they'll probably, I believe there, there are like vaccines that were later that had longer development cycles that'll be released. I was telling you about the one that's made from moth blood that I was kind of <laughs> excited about. Right. Yeah. That's like the, the goth, uh, COVID vaccine. Like they're trying all angles, like, okay, you guys won't get vaccinated, maybe if it's moth blood. Yeah, moth right. blood. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I literally know nothing about it other than I like the idea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, but it's like round, it's round two, right? And like, and Jupiter always gives us three phases um, within each 30 degree arc, right? You know, it, it gives us a direct, it gives us a retrograde, and then it gives us another direct, right? So we have like a diurnal or um not excuse me we have we have the 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 day and night sect phases of jupiter in morning rising and evening rising and then we have the opposition phase so we get like three phases of jupiter for every year and so this is the the middle one which is the reevaluative and always retrograde yeah and i don't know if it was an official thing but the there was some talk about if you got a J and J vaccine, vaccine, that that would require a booster just in and of itself. Right, that was the one that was just one shot. Yeah, initially. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think um, like Israel, for example, has already started doing additional booster shots at this point, even for people with two. So that's coming down the pipeline. And additionally, just um, one of the things that's happening this month that's a little bit different is we're moving out of some of the really difficult configurations in fixed signs that we've been dealing with for the past month or two, especially with the 
Mars-Saturn opposition and the square with Uranus sort of culminating at the beginning of, of July. And yeah, so- that, uh, that configuration sure delivered. That, that, was, uh, that was a pretty classic case of astrology good, mm. but not you know morally or generally good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we, had, used- we had the building collapse in Florida. We had um, a bunch of things exploding around 4th of July. Uh, Haiti's president was assassinated. You had the heat dome in the Western US. You had torrential floods. Uh, in Germany um, and in China, and then like twenty other things, like you know, as far as like, oh, I think that'll that's kind of a malefic hotspot for the year. Um, mm-hmm. It 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 paid out. And we yeah. had the the variants at that point too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the you know a promising start for the Delta variant. Also, there was that like huge chasm in the middle of the ocean, like that opened up that was on fire. Um, and that was, we did not precisely call like a portal to hell opening up in the ocean with the Mars Saturn opposition, but now we can add that to like our, our repertoire of delineations for the future. Yeah. Hellmouth. Right. <laughs> Very archetypally consistent. Or sometimes it's funny mm-hmm. d- debate between astrologers, like, you know, astrology is psychologically predictive or archetypally, but then sometimes no, it's just like a literal portal to hell opened up in the ocean. Uh, that week of that that alignment. Um, all right. So one of the things also with Jupiter returning back to Aquarius and us getting away, like Mars moving into Virgo this month and getting out of Leo, is um, I feel like that's also for people personally going to lighten up some things in terms of the fixed signs and in terms of the Aquarius placement. Where when Jupiter left and went and left Aquarius, went into Pisces in May. While that's been good for Jupiter, it's kind of left Saturn to its own somewhat intense and somewhat like severe devices over the past couple of months. And for some people, like that has been kind of hard in the Aquarius sector of their chart and whatever house that that is associated with. So I think for some people, Jupiter coming back to Aquarius is also going to be some um, you know, antidote or some sort of um, fix or help or alleviation of some of the stress. In that part of their chart over the next six months as well, yeah, a little little padding. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing about Saturn and Aquarius um, being assaulted by both Uranus and Mars without Jupiter's help, um, something funny happened in a UFC match. Um, a huge, like hugely anticipated, hugely watched match between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. So the uh, it was a a re rematch. It was their third match, and it ended in the first round with Connor's shin um, snapped in two and like at a ninety degree angle. And so, what's interesting is that there have been like three of these injuries in big fights ever in the thirty year history of that organization. Two of them have been in the last six months since Saturn went into Aquarius. And so, you know, on the the Zodiac Man illustration. You always see Aquarius as the shins, and so yeah, it's 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 interesting to see like that again that that translating so literally as like you know Saturn's in Aquarius. Watch your shins; the shin taker has come. <laughs> That's really interesting because he's a. We actually have a time chart for Conor McGregor, and he's like Taurus rising, right? So that that yes. injury was in his tenth house, or that Aquarius stuff was in his tenth house, and um, what was it? Uh, uh, I think it. Uh, I'm going to say Sylvie Oslin 
Um, we just we talk MMA sometimes, MMA and astrology sometimes. I believe they said that Connor had just moved into an Aquarius period um, at some level of ZR, um, which would make it interesting, right? Highlighting the uh, um, the strength and durability or lack thereof of the shins. Is that I don't know MMA very well, but I saw somebody say that might be like a career ending like injury. Is that that bad or how bad was it? Yeah, I mean it, it's happened so few times. The the famous one was Anderson Silva, um, and he came back and fought, but he was never the same. He never achieved. He never reclaimed the level of um, uh, the the level of excellence or the you know the, the he never got his flowers back. Um, and it wasn't like you know his shin didn't work right because the shin either holds you up or it doesn't. Um, but you know, it's a, it's, it's a long time off training. There's a weakness there. And then psychologically, you know, um, if you've ever had a serious injury, it makes, it's sort of a revelation of vulnerability. You're like, oh, that part of me can be broken when I'm just doing my thing. Yeah. That's such a Saturn experience, like to experience fallibility or vulnerability or that you're not invincible. Yeah. Or yeah, that you, 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 it's not. Yeah, um, it's you. We know that we can get be hurt, um, but to feel broken by something is, you know, it's like a it's like a negative initiation. You're like, oh, I had I didn't really understand. Yeah. Um, all right, and uh, I just want to share the chart for today because we're actually recording this the day of um, the first full moon in Aquarius, which is going to actually go exact later tonight. Um, but that's again, it's like opening up and, and putting attention on Aquarius and that sign, both globally in a, in a mundane astrological sense, but also probably personally for many of us in terms of what um, chart or what area of the chart or what house Aquarius falls in, in your actual birth chart. Um, and I know, Chani, like one of the things you always say is like, go look at the moon every full moon and <laughs> and get that like visceral experience. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why, and why do you why do you say that to to people? Um, because I hope people get off their phone and like go look at the majesty that they live under, and right. you know it's always good to go and take that in. I think it's a good like breakup. But I'm I'm always just that person. Well, oh you God, can feel it too. Like when you step outside yeah. during a like a, a clear full moon, you're like, oh, like yeah. there's the visual, but there's also the the energetic wave. Yeah. And also just to relate us back to the sky because we have so little relation to it. So it's really interesting, this full moon. This one, like you said, it's like without Jupiter. It's moving into the conjunction with Saturn. And then we have the, the next one that's going to be co-present with Jupiter and actually conjunct Jupiter. So it feels like there's all of this um, – hmm. All of that's this that, that's happening in Aquarius, it's like Jupiter's coming back, Saturn's already there, we're having two full moons in a row there, the first one's without Jupiter, so we can feel that kind of situation in our chart, whatever's happening in that part of our chart. And then the next time it comes, Jupiter is there, and so it kind of like punctuates what Jupiter has come back to help us kind of fill out or grow into or to better structure if it's an idea that we're kind of working on and parsing out. Um, so it feels like even though it's Leo season and there's 
enough going on, you know, in well, not a ton, but there's an interesting that Kazemi is really interesting at the beginning of the month. But um, it feels like there is that kind of background emphasis on on Saturn, what Saturn's trying to build, what Saturn's trying to grow us into, what Saturn's trying to kind of hammer into ourselves and our lives about our mortality, about the limited time we have to do this thing in this part of our life while Saturn is there. And, you know, Jupiter without, or sorry, Saturn without Jupiter is kind of like Maleficent without her daughter (laughs) or like when they're apart. And then like the, there's a bit of a return of that, some kind of hope or some kind of space or some kind of um, philosophical outlook maybe. Yeah. I really like comparing those two full moons um, because one, it's interesting that we have, it's um, rare, not shockingly rare, but it's rare to have two full moons in the same sign in a row. Um, And it's very interesting to have one, um, right next to Saturn and the other right next to Jupiter after the, um, uh, the shift backwards. It's almost like here are the problems yeah. and then here are the solutions, right? Or here's not necessarily solutions, but here's what can be done mm-hmm. about those things, right? Yeah. Cause you can't necessarily solve things, but you can improve things. You can, there, there are better and worse workarounds, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So really understanding this part of your chart, like for folks listening, could be really helpful in the next month. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point that the problems in the Aquarius sector will become clear during this phase in late July and early August, because it's not just that we'll have that full moon conjunct Saturn, which will actually be very visible. Like People can go out and see this because it'll rise over the eastern horizon just after sunset. You'll see this big, beautiful full moon rise, and you'll see this little star just after it, which is Saturn, um, here towards the end of July. But even a few days after that, we have that that parting shot between Mars and Jupiter that happens just as the two are changing signs, where just as Jupiter switches back into Aquarius at the very end of July, Mars opposes it from 29 degrees of Leo. Creating like a major tension uh, between those two planets and that axis of the chart of Aquarius and Leo in, in all of our birth charts before Mars departs from that sign and sort of leaves Jupiter to sort of clean up the fixed sign axis on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so August begins. <laughs> yes. All right. So our first major configuration with that as the backdrop is basically the Sun-Mercury conjunction or Kazemi that occurs on August 1st at 10 degrees of Leo, which just coincidentally is exactly opposite to Saturn at 10 degrees of Aquarius at that time, which is interesting for a few different reasons. But one of them is that Whenever the sun is exactly opposite to Saturn, that means it's exactly or precisely halfway through its retrograde cycle. So this is part of the solar phase cycle between the sun and Saturn, and it means we're exactly halfway between the point where Saturn stationed retrograde a few months ago versus when it will finally station direct in the future about, um, I guess it's 70 days later. Mm-hmm. So one kind of fun question mark thing about that is that um, when you have Sun opposite Saturn perfectly like that, um, you won't have any charts. You won't have any day charts with Saturn above the horizon like you would like to be 
um, to be perfectly in sect. Like Saturn, when a, when a planet is opposite the sun, um, it refuses to be part of the day sect. Because as soon as the sun rises, it sets, and as soon as the sun sets, it rises. It's right. Like hide and seek. You know, and, and that's interesting because, you know, when we think about an opposition, you're like, oh, there's a disagreement. Um, but we see that, like, you know, when we frame it in terms of day and night charts and sect is a planet opposite the sun refuses to be part of the sun's sect, the sun's, you know, um, diurnal religion. Although, although it's interesting at this point, because this is the exact point where that switches, where we've been in six months of this, where you couldn't have a day chart with Saturn um you know, in basically not being contrary to the sect, but this is the point where after this date on August 1st, um, you start ending up with day charts again with Saturn um, being basically not contrary to sect and being able to use some of the other uh, like Aquarius rising charts, for example. Um, and that ended up featuring in some of our elections this month where uh, I don't think it's a featured election, but here it is, for example, with let's say August 9th with Aquarius with 10 degrees of Aquarius rising and, and Saturn right on the ascendant at nine Aquarius. And the sun is just barely, what, six degrees, seven degrees above the horizon at this point. So this is a, a turning point in the year where all of a sudden we start being able to use some potentially Aquarius rising again, uh, elections again in the second half of 2021. So I, I like this. Um, I think this Mercury-Sun conjunction opposite Saturn is uh, is a really interesting sort of in-between in step for that full moon in Aquarius on Saturn and then full moon in Aquarius on Jupiter thing. You know, this is so this is Mercury's direct conjunction with the Sun. So this is the not the retrograde one, right? But the one where Mercury's on the far side of the Sun. Um, you know, and those uh, Kazemis or conjunctions are, you know, Mercury's as far away from Earth as it gets. So we're like looking far out. We're trying to think about bigger picture things as opposed to like very personal things, um, as in the retrograde. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> this one, this one is, um, asking very clearly for us to think about these Saturn issues, right? Like, like, you know, there was all of the sort of inflammation of the Saturn Uranus thing. Um, during July with Mars there. And it's like, okay, so now that um, now that things aren't literally exploding or you know torrential rain or whatever, um, there's still issues here and we can like just look at the issues outside of like an acute case. But what is, what is it, what are the chronic issues with Saturn and Aquarius? Um, and that Mercury Sun is just perfectly poised uh, to reveal that. Yeah, it feels like a really, like it feels like a moment of critical insight, like where you it might not be like a the biggest thing that ever comes through or like like a download that you get that it might not even be a surprise. It's like something that you actually know really well, but that the, that it comes through with a kind of clarity that allows you to actually witness it, hear it, understand it, know it. Because I always feel like if Saturn does anything, it makes things real. It's like, hey, you're not going past this. This is not a joke. Like, this is the limit. And so if it's like a Kazemi moment where we're getting inside of something or we're able to kind of like, you know, slip into that inner chamber kind of place where we get that download, perhaps, then that Saturn, it's like we're aligning with something that is um, unmistakable and... I always think that working with Saturn 
well, for a number of reasons, but it's it's one of the most, I think, transformative planets to work with because it makes things real. It kind of gives you feedback in real time, like, oh, that hurts, or that doesn't work, or that's going to waste your time, or, you know, like, that's not good for your soul because it 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 results in not great feelings. Um, so I was thinking of this, this very beginning of August as like that, that point of like, maybe I hear my, maybe I hear my intuition or maybe I hear myself about something that I usually kind of skim over. And also I think it's like a really interesting invitation to sit with the part of us that is critical for, for better and for not better. Like if we're being critical towards the self or for being limiting, self-limiting, it's like, you know, it's like the heart of Leo. It's the heart of the sun. It's, you know, that first decan of Leo. And it feels like there's so much about the persona and about how we work with it, how we shine. And if we're, if we're doing like the opposite of that, which Saturn and Aquarius literally is, then what is that tension? Like, where do I get to be my full self? And then where do I need to like both have responsibility and accountability? And then if I teeter over too far to that Saturn and Aquarius side, I am limiting myself and I'm kind of like, you know, like destroying my own kind of sense of self through too much restriction. So it feels like that really interesting tension for us to do some, I think, kind of personal investigation and work. Like where does that inner critic go wild or this might be a really good time to actually get to it and be able to talk to that part of self so that it doesn't have free reign to like govern us. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point about the critical function of Saturn, especially when combined with Mercury, because Mercury-Saturn conjunctions can be really good at seeing the faults or the problems in things. And oftentimes that can be projected outwards and seeing the faults in other people or those around you, but it's interesting having this conjunction, um, the Kazemi and Leo opposite to that, and maybe that function being turned inward to some extent and being able to see your own faults, but trying to decide what's a healthy level of that versus what's going too far, because oppositions sometimes can have a tendency to take things a little bit too far or further than they should. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And so that's going to tend to be more personal if that's in the same sign as one of the luminaries or the ascendant. Um, if it's more external, like it's in the tenth or it's in the fourth, it's a that's a very like structural analysis, right? Like if it's in the fourth, it's like oh, those stairs uh, are gonna. If I don't replace that one step in the stairs, somebody's gonna fall through, right? Or at work, like oh my like the structure of my business or the structure of the organization that I'm in needs, uh, you know, do I want to be part of this? Right. But it's, and it's the same critical eye and it's the same structural analysis, um, but turned, turned outward. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I, I like, you kept saying sit with it, which is something I literally like to do with Mercury Kazemis. I find if I like turn off the noise that I surround myself with, um, I, there's some like really good mind time yeah. during the Kazemis, like about six hours, both the retrograde and the direct like this. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like ugh, the benefits of meditation temporarily times three for about mm -hmm. six hours. Mm -hmm. It's like a really rich field of mind. Yeah. Um, one other thing is 
this Kazemi is happening in the immediate aftermath of Mars departing from that same sign from Leo. So it's like Mars is is taking off and it's kicked up a lot of dust in that sign and in that sector of, of each person's natal chart, some more than others. And then in the immediate aftermath of that, we get that um, sort of deep critical thinking and internalization with the Sun-Mercury conjunction right away on August 1st, like right after that. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's interesting, right? Because where both the Sun and Mercury are going to head into a square with Uranus after yeah. that. So we're activating, in part, we're activating the Saturn-Uranus thing, that like standing wave or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it there it's 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 a little bit more sequential than we did last month and than we did in July because they were Saturn and Uranus were closer in July. Um and so with this one we get like it's like Saturn count one, two, three, four, Uranus, mm-hmm. right? Rather than ba-bum. It's more of a one pause, pause, two. And so I think some of the signals will be like usefully slightly disentangled, which may be um maybe fruitful, right? To be able to see Saturn and Uranus not uh interfering with each other by trying to do their thing at the same time, but like just a little bit of separation. And I think Mercury, of course, is the the planet that's best at like discriminating between like uh you know A, B, and C and like finding the space between two things to understand the nature of each individually. Yeah. Mercury's moving so fast at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like oh, by the third, Mercury already squares Uranus, and then it takes the sun to the sixth to actually do it. So it feels like that first week of August is like maybe parsing through some of the leftover themes of the Saturn-Uranus square, but in a way that like is very slow and methodical, or at least pensive at the very beginning of the month. And then... I think Eliza Robertson was like called this week the weirding with the Mercury and then the Sun squaring Uranus, but it feels quick too. I like that. At least we're on the downslope from the like Saturn Uranus square and the intensity of some of that and the disruptiveness of it for for some people and going into the one downslope of the, meaning there's only one more. Well, the downslope exact? meaning we've got like we've got oh, three we've peaks got this year. The next step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had like the, the respite, right? The respite. That's a good. That's a good <laughs> like one. The, the, br- the break between rounds. B- break break between rounds two and three. A yeah. little bit of it a feels breather. like three though doesn't even really ever. It just like kind of like hangs out for so like it's there's almost a four, but it's not. Yeah, quite the four is almost stronger than right. any of the others, even though it's never exact. <laughs> They're so close for because so it's long. Just I know. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. You're talking, I'll go with you the down. 2020 about the 2022. Yeah. Oh, no, we're just no, doom scrolling through the years. Right. Don't, <laughs> don't start telling people about 2022. Yeah, we have to I save that. No, we didn't say anything. I think I think it's useful. It's saying okay, this okay. Saturn Uranus thing. It's not it's over not, in November. Over. Like yeah. it's almost all of Saturn and Aquarius. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. expect that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, By whole sign for sure, but definitely. You know, if you put down the controller like halfway through the game, you will lose the second half. Right. Right. Um, so, but at, at least aside from aside from Uranus stationing mid month and and some intensification of that, especially if anybody has fixed planets around, I think it's around fourteen degrees of the yeah. fixed signs where Uranus stations at fourteen Taurus. At least we get a little bit of distance 
compared, relatively speaking, compared to the most intense portions of this year when Saturn and Uranus are, are close to exact and Mars is also like in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so yeah. A little- it's, it's, um, August is a godsend for the fixed signs <laughs> relative to July. Right. right. Um, all right. So I think that starts to bring us in our first week to our first lunation of the month, which is that yeah. new moon that takes place in the same sign, in the sign of Leo. Uh, looks like about 16 degrees of Leo on the 8th of August. And this is very much still emphasizing many of the same themes that we were just talking about in terms of those fixed signs. It's just barely a couple of degrees off from squaring Uranus from 16 degrees of Leo to uh, 14 degrees of Taurus. So that Uranus energy is still pretty prominent um, in this second week now that we're going into the month, not just with that square to the lunation, but also with Uranus getting ready to station uh, retrograde here in, in just a matter of days as well. So it's still pulling focus. Or yeah, it is pulling so, focus. Yeah. So what is a, a Uranus lunation like? Um, Uranus squaring the uh, new moon in Leo. I mean, we're still talking about fixed signs and um, I keep thinking about like with fixed signs, just the the love of that which is comfortable and that which stays the same, and like wanting things to stay the same. But Uranus often just introducing a jolt to that, um, which of all of the signs, maybe fixed signs have the hardest problem with, just because of the tendency to not want to change. Whereas Uranus, if it signifies anything, changes like one of the primary functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be largely, it's going to feel like a continuation of what happened the week before with the Mercury Sun, right? It's just like more Saturn into Uranus, right? So how that could look or feel. Saturn is like, oh, I would like this to be the pattern or this to be the structure. And so I'm, you know, using my my Lego bricks to try to build this. And then Uranus says, but what about this factor, right? Um, And so you know, then you either do a redesign or you figure out how to work around the Uranus change or accommodate the Uranus change. But it's like there's the structure, and then there's the the challenge to that structure, right? And it might like we talked about last month, you know, like the answer might be um, to take all the bricks apart and build something else. It might just be to modify designs, or because this is not an, an entirely new thing now. Um, you know, if you kind of had an idea, it was like, okay, what's a structure that's sufficiently adapt adaptive to deal with Uranus? Then, you know, you might see at this point, like, oh, it is kind of working, right? Like I did, um, you know, I did design for chaos. Yeah, I like, you know, also, I don't know if we specifically said this, but I like the the, the fact that you, the point that you brought up about it being midway through Saturn's retrograde or the like that halfway point. And to have that Kazemi there to be like get the insight about what the Saturn thing is and then to go through the bumps of the Uranus. And then we also have on the second, we, we missed it, but there's a Venus trine Uranus at the, at the very beginning of the month. So it feels like the whole Which is week super is important. really- yeah, that's, that's a great point because that's in uh, Uranus is in Venus's sign, yeah. And so it's going to be much more responsive to aspects from Venus. Um, one pause yeah. though, you, you know, we were talking about the the Saturn Sun opposition, so it's a halftime show. What is a yeah. Saturn halftime show? <laughs> <laughs> is it just like Bauhaus or? 
<laughs> what are the mascots that come out during that halftime game uh, at that halftime show? Um, I'm sure you have, you know, pictures of them. Um, I've, got, I've got some bands I'd like to book. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So it feels like a, a week that requires some innovation or requires some doing things differently or requires some kind of um, last minute, maybe even, I don't know. It's also like a Leo, just going back to the Leo new moon, it's like a Leo new moon. So it does feel like leaving, separating that square, separating from that square to Uranus. It feels like I don't know, anything could happen. It's like, it's got energy to it and it's got, it's it feels lively, anyways. At, in at, at any rate, yeah. So we've got that. The so life might be a time to like break out, try something new, like do you know do your thing, but do it a little differently, or like really questioning why do I care what other people think? Like honestly, truly, if the Saturn Uranus square is actually going to last through twenty twenty two, like I might as well live a little. I yeah, and I like that. I like that with Venus Uranus. I, I find that yeah. with Venus Uranus aspects in general, like changing up your pattern of pleasure seeking, yeah, is generally very fruitful because we have things that we go to. Like, I like this show. I'll watch this show to feel good, or I like this food. Um, and like recognizing recognizing the patterning of that, and like trying something new, like breaking your your own yeah your your own history of this is what I like. Yeah, get freaky. Yeah, I like that. So Venus trying Uranus August 3rd and trying something new. Um, later, once we get to the, the new moon, right after that, Venus actually opposes Neptune from 22 Virgo to 22 Pisces, which is a little, which is a little bit more, more tricky. Venus-Neptune um, hard aspects are not always super in check with like reality or not seeing things necessarily as they as they are, but sometimes as they want them to be. I think I think they're great as long as you don't assume that that's how it's going to be. Um, I think they're, to, that they're, it's going to stay that way. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. I think it's an awesome opportunity to check out from the you know hard Saturnian edges of life. Yeah. Um, like, you just like you're like no, I know that I'm like taking a vacation. Yeah, you know, or emotionally. Like, yeah, getting the kid who, or not the kid, but like you know, your friend who might be a little bit more straight laced, like getting them high, <laughs> watching them yeah. roll yeah, yeah, around yeah. the floor laughing and eating donuts. But I, I agree. There is um, there is certainly danger if you let's say you meet somebody new during that aspect exactly, and you're like, oh, we had such an amazing time. Assuming that that like, well, that's how it's gonna be. Right. right that that is a yeah. rare configuration and so you you would uh you would have bad assumptions about the future if you did that yeah there's not a lot of reliability for venus between the uranus and the neptune but it could be fun yeah it could be fun and sometimes surrendering to that is is okay of just being like i know objectively this is something that's probably too good to last but i'm going to enjoy it in the meantime for whatever brief period of time it's present and you know, even if it's not doesn't turn out to be cracked up to all it seems to be, um, sort of being willing to let it go if it comes to that. Yeah, or taking the day to like not like be purposely not productive. Yeah, just right. staring at the Drink ceiling, pina coladas or something. Yeah, like just do your like let yourself go, like, let yourself be in the Neptune of it all. It's like needing Virgo needs to like loosen up a little. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. worth noting that that's Venus and Virgo, um, and that yeah. last decan of Virgo is where the degree of Venus's maximum fall is. It can right. be a hard place where there are a lot of like deeply self-critical feelings. Yeah. Um, and that Neptune is in Venus's exaltation sign, right? Mm -hmm. Like Venus will will take, um, you know, what Pisces has to offer because mm -hmm. it feels good. Yeah. I was reminded of the, just the value of that. Like a few weeks ago, I got sick on the Mars Saturn opposition, which oh. was hilarious because that was like the halfway point from when I got sick last year at the Mars Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. So then the opposition ended up being another like hit to my health, but I just spent the week kind of like watching movies and I was reacquainted with the healing power of just like vegging out and like taking a break occasionally, um, which was kind of a nice and surprising reminder to have. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goal is to be able to do that without having to get sick. Right. So that would be a admirable goal some someday. Um, it was reminding me of like movies that are good for astrologers or have some sort of like allegory for astrology. And I don't know if you two have ever thought about this, um, but oftentimes like movies that have a heavy component having to do with like fate or time or other things like that. Um, that I think in the back of my mind, I often think about or watch as an astrologer with a specific uh, lens, like uh, even like basic Hollywood movies like The Matrix or something like that. And the way that astrologers often think about astrology as this sort of code that's underlying reality, and you can almost see it as a sort of like allegory like that. Um, do either of you have movies like that that are like ones that appeal to you as as an astrologer? I can't think of any, but I will say that last night we were watching the Michael Jordan documentary. Oh, how was it? I heard it was. Oh good. my god, it's so good! And so, okay. so what we, I'm sure everybody, everybody listening to this does this, but you watch something like that and then you pull up the person's chart. Totally. And Michael Jordan has a drum roll, please. Mars and Leo opposing Saturn and Aquarius. <laughs> yes. Oh. So he's having is like a return, return. Um, Anyways, I won't diverge into that too much, but it was interesting to watch that as the end of the literal transit is happening. Yeah, that's brilliant. Here's his chart with Oh, cancer. you've got it right there. Yeah. So Chris, I, I remembered a movie or a series of movies that has, you know, that does play with fate and astrology. Um, they're terrible. Um, what are they called? Uh they're from like 20, 25 years ago. And it's basically like death is stalking a group of teenagers, um, <laughs> but like not as a person. It's like just the fate, like it's, you know, they're, what are they called? Uh, uh, uh. But anyway, the, the idea, final destination. Thank you, Gabe. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Where like, it's just, it's like the time Lord or the, the, the awful transit where you can't see the actor, right? It's not a monster coming to get you. It's that time has decided that you will die now. And so like they, you know, like the, you know, the piano misses a character, but then they get hit by an automobile. But, and it's just like, it's trying to, um, it's trying to evade uh, predestination. And like, there are certain transits that feel like that. We're like, okay, that missed me, but oh, now that's coming for me. And you've got to, you know, got to be doing your matrix style bullet dodging. Yeah. I love the, that series also because oftentimes the person, once they had foreknowledge of the future, they would try to do things to avoid it, but then the very things that they ended up trying to do to avoid it ended up dooming them to fulfill the fate that was already they were trying to avoid in the first place. So that's that's a good one. I mean, the other one 
similar one like that was um, like Slumdog Millionaire, which was that one that was really popular like 10 years ago where it was like the kid was on a game show and he had to answer all the questions. But then every thing that he had done in his life up to that point had actually, in a weird way, through fate, taught him the correct answers that they ended up asking him on the game show. And so it was an interesting like meditation on fate and predestination and choice and things like that. I so wish I could add Jupiter Rising to this list. As as a person with Jupiter Rising, I was like, okay, right. cool, there's a movie. And I was like, oh, not, not, not cool. Right. Yeah. We were all all the astrologers when they announced that one were like thinking that the Wachowski siblings had had like, you know, gone to astrology and we we're gonna get a nice <laughs> a big Hollywood astrology movie, and that is not what ended up happening there at all. The Matrix was so good. Yeah, well, they're making a fourth one, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes if they can yeah. return to that successfully. Um, so, if anybody in the comments thinks of any other like movies that would be good allegories for astrology or astrologers, let us know in the comments. And I might actually do an episode on that at some point. I've been kicking around the idea. All right, so um, let's return back to the forecast. We touched on the new moon in Leo, and we're getting into. The middle of the month at this point, I think, and that Uranus station in Taurus, which is kind of just activating many of the same things that we've been talking about or intensifying Uranus for better or worse. Um, let me animate the chart, and it looks like that station happens. That's actually later. It's like August 20th, but it's really slowing down by the time we get to the mid month. And one of the things that's interesting about that is just it's Going to be completing basically the first half of Uranus's transit through Taurus in general and inaugurating the entire second half of Uranus going through the rest of Taurus and activating the second half of all fixed signs through hard aspect. So I wanted to mention it in passing just briefly based on that because it's surprising. I remember when Uranus went into Taurus and it's surprising that we're already basically halfway through that transit at this point. Yeah. Mid fixed signs need to get free. My yeah, wife yeah. has a, a, a her son is like a mid like 14 degrees of a fixed sign. Okay. And so like her whole, you know, this whole year has just been like, okay, how do I restructure everything so I can have more freedom? Right. And has that been something it's interesting sometimes people do that consciously and you see mm -hmm. the impulse for change. Uh, come from within, and other times it's like something that comes from without that sort of imposes that on you, and you have to react to. Has yeah. it been more conscious or more externalized? I mean, I think like you know, she runs two companies, so I think that the intensity of that just kind of like was an imposing reality that was like, hey, <laughs> either everything gets streamlined. Because also that Saturn is there too, right? So it's like, okay, what's the structure? How do I use my time? How do I compartmentalize things? And how do I delegate things so that there can be more kind of space for not freedom, freedom through responsibility, freedom through commitment in a kind of sense. That's really, I think, uh, helpful to discuss somebody's actual experience because a lot of it is like, you know, the Uranus is like, yay, freedom. I, I, oh, like I need more space or I need freedom, but it's like, but I have to do all this stuff. 
right? I have all these responsibilities. Like the fact that I desire freedom does not negate all of my responsibilities. Right. Yeah. And it's actually like the getting really like she's very in this moment of like, how do I use my time in the most efficient way so that I can win in the most, you know, in in all the ways I want to. So it's like more of a, these are my creative limits. Like these are the limits and structures that Saturn gives me. And then here's the kind of innovative, creative kind of spark of Uranus of like, okay, well then how can I, how can I like really fuck shit up in this time frame that I've got and with the resources that I've got. And I think also we talked a lot about that, like, you know, we're midway through Uranus to Taurus. And so it's really like, these are my resources. How do I use them in the most interesting, effective um, way? Right. Or sometimes innovative way. Uh, like I was watching, I was telling you guys the other day that I was watching this Vice uh, report about um, changes in food service where there's like living in New York and ordering from different restaurants that had different menus. And then it turned out they were all being delivered from the same place. It was all coming from the same place, even though they were wildly different restaurants with different menus. And it turns out this was a new trend of virtual restaurants where they would have like 15 different menus, um, but they would just be the same kitchen sort of cooking different things with a variety of different ingredients and having 15 different apps to take orders for all these different restaurants. So there's been this big disruption in the food service industry, partially due to the pandemic, but also through just innovating and adapting to new technologies and um, figuring out how to how to deal with that. So it's interesting seeing that as another further development of some of the Uranus and Taurus um, sort of food themes that we had been talking about uh, over the so past few years. It's a fully digital cheesecake yeah. factory. Right. Sounds right. awful. <laughs> well, yeah. know, which reminds going. me of something I was going to say earlier about the return of Jupiter into Aquarius. So Jupiter and Pisces, there's been, in general, as, as we discussed, a more hopeful attitude. I would uh, characterize it as feeling and seeing that there are more possibilities. Um, and I can like feel that Jupiter about to go back. And you can feel the like, and you can see all the all the things that are already coming down the pipe, that like closing down of the like, you know, bright bouquet of possibilities. It's sort of like back onto like the weird moving, the uneasy moving sidewalk towards dystopia, where it's sort of like, oh, I don't know. Um, like being, you know, that being moved, like if you, you know, if you've been to airports that have those and kind of like, where are we going with this? There don't seem to be as many options for mm-hmm. destinations. There's that like, there's that uneasy feeling. Can we I really think, go to the Europe? first four months of the year that's coming <laughs> yeah. back? What? Yeah. Can we really go to Europe? It's like people are going to Europe. Right. You're like, wait, what? Can you do that now? Like, what? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of those that happened that I don't wasn't sure we were having a debate Austin and I about whether it was related, but we had those two billionaires just in the past week or two that like launched themselves into space. Um, and I was wondering if that was a manifestation of Jupiter in Pisces. And normally we talk about like Jupiter and Sag, for example, as long distance travel, just with Jupiter being the planet of travel in general. And I was wondering if its return to one of its home signs was noting that as, a, as an important event in terms of the commercialization of space and things like that um, versus whether it was more of a technological thing. And you were saying, Austin, that it, it could have been more representative of some of the Saturn and Aquarius themes. Yeah, especially Saturn and Aquarius uh, configured to Uranus, 
because that that same sending a human being into near Earth Earth orbit was something the United States did in two Saturn and Aquariuses ago, right in the mm. early '60s. It was Saturn and Aquarius opposite Uranus in in uh, in Leo, um, but because it was 60 years ago, Jupiter was in the same relationship to Saturn. So in 1962, you have like some Jupiter in Aquarius and some Jupiter in Pisces. Um, so if we look at like literally that same act or achievement, um, we have um, we have Saturn in Aquarius, Jupiter in Aquarius, and then Pisces that year, and we have an angular Uranus. So there's there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, and that ties into an episode I did earlier this month, the last episode before this one, which was on stelliums. And uh, just some of the debates surrounding stelliums and like how many planets count as a stellium and things like that, where on the three planets versus four planet minimum to have a stellium, where do each of you fall on that debate? Do you count three planets or you only count like four and up? No, three is a crowd. Three? Okay. I don't, I don't know if I even really think about it. You don't have like a strong. I mean, I was telling Patrick, it's not like the house division debate where astrologers are like strapping bombs to their chest uh, over this issue, but you know, it's a lo lower level debate than that. Right. Well, it, the thing is, if stellium was like a, a very meaningful distinction, where once you had a stellium, there was like a whole set of interpretive things that would that would click in, mm -hmm. then you know, I would get fussy about it. But it's literally yeah. just like, oh, there's a bunch there. Yeah, it um, just—it's like all so much of the life goes back to that house topic too. Right, yeah, and like, three oh, is going you know, back. three keep going back. Yeah, um, yeah, and it starts dragging in like the rulers of a bunch of houses. That's what I and, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like okay, we could return back to this house again. And also, is it Venus and Mercury that we're talking about that are there with the Sun? Like, who's in the stellium? I guess is also interesting. Right, or is it like with common. the? The people born in the late '80s, early '90s, where they have right. a bunch of like outer planets and Capricorn in the same sign already, and that's generational, yeah. or is it, you know, some personal planets or what have you? Yeah, yeah, and all of those have different meanings, or I think of those in different ways. Like you think of the cohort of those people that came in, or just that that week or that month of those people that are born with this. So it's always everything's significant, but I don't think I ever think about the word stellium that much. Right. Yeah, I think that um, if they're visible planets and therefore classically rule houses, if you have three planets in a sign, you could have literally the rulers of six of the 12 houses, or if it's sun, moon, and a planet, minimum four. And also from like a planetary combinations perspective, if you have two in a sign, then you just have that dynamic. If you have three close together, then you have um, multiple relationships. Like if it's Mars, Venus, Mercury, you've got to think about, okay, what is Venus, Mars like? Okay, what is Mars, Mercury like? You know, and, and just go through all of that and get so much more complicated. I feel like three is where the complexity ramps up enough to put it in, you know, a different category. Right, for sure. All right. Well, people can check out the Stelliums episode in episode 311, I think, which is out now and was an amazing episode where we did a bunch of example charts. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, I wanted to mention our sponsor for this month, which is actually uh, Sphere and Sundry, uh, which has a new uh, well, series. What's that, Chris? It sounds mysterious and intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually going to chastise you. So Sphere and Sundry is, um, of course, uh, talismanic materia 
uh, or aka elections in a bottle by our friend Caitlin Kopic. And I had to kind of like ask you, Austin, to uh, stop sleeping with our sponsors because <laughs> that could get us into trouble in this day and age. But why don't why don't you tell me what what Sphere and Sundry is about? Um. Well, let me tell you how it started. So several years ago, Kate was like, hey, you should uh, make talismans for people. They would like that. And I said, I have too many jobs. I don't want to do that. And Kate's like, well, what if I do it? I said, knock yourself out. And um, Kate more than just did it. She's uh, she's like innovated to a degree that I don't think anybody thought was possible before. You know, um, she's adapted um the sort of talismanic protocols to uh oils candles incenses even the salves are really good i really like the salves um and just kind of taken it to a variety of new levels and so you know i i've been the electional astrologer for sphere and sundry the whole time as well as the advisor um but uh you know it's been it's been it's been pretty amazing because I'm I'm kind of cranky and uh, sometimes overly traditional when it comes to astrology or magic, and so Kate was like, "Well, I'm going to try this and we'll see if it works." And there's so much that worked so much better than I realized it would, um, and it's it's been exciting. Uh, it's been really exciting to one have all this awesome stuff from every good election that I didn't have to make <laughs> from from my perspective. Um, and, um, it's also been, you know, it, it's been awesome for me, uh, as far as uh, sort of a training course for electing magical procedures, um, and fit and trying to think about how to do the sort of safest, most benefic, gentlest, best version possible. Because if, when it's just for me, I will, and have taken lots of risks, like I'm very happy to self-inject as a guinea pig, but this is a different project, right? Um, and so, you know, holding different criteria in mind, um, it's 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 been a joy. Can I say as a customer? Please. I I maybe have a problem, maybe by almost everything that comes out, but I feel like I've I've had these, I've had Caitlin's products for a couple of years now. And there's like literally no important event that I go to without it on. I wear it every day. I wear something every day. I wear something also every night. Um, and I've, we've given it, we've gifted it to everybody that we know and love to people that work. Like all of our staff have sphere and sundry, like everybody <laughs> we know has sphere and sundry. And the amount of times people have like gotten the job and like, met the person and like done all these things. Like I give this stuff out for people that are in a crisis or in a something. And it's not only like soothing and um, just really beautifully made things, but they have a tremendous amount of power. And it's one of my favorite gifts to give because there's literally nothing like it. And I cannot go without it. We've got like, like our altars, like <laughs> sphere and sundry shop, but I do feel like they're my friends. Like I do feel like they're my allies. They're my friends. When we had problems with neighbors, we like anything that goes on in our life, we're like, okay, which one do we use? So I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. 
And and I love how it's taking the ancient and medieval concept of creating talismans or capturing the chart of a specific moment and the energies of that moment and putting it in something in either an oil or an elixir or an incense or a candle and being able to have that and like reach back to that and reignite the energy of that moment in your life at some time at will, like whenever you need to. Um, It's really fascinating concept just like conceptually in terms of astrology but also practically speaking and the fact that you plan some of these elections out so far in advance uh, and then release them later yeah the you know one thing that i was that i learned from the project um i was pleasantly surprised by is so i'd done a bunch of stuff with stones and metals and i knew that stone and metal could absolutely carry a charge and even a well-constructed paper talisman will carry something. It's not the same as stone or metal. It doesn't have the same carrying capacity. Um, but I was really, I was really surprised at how, um, how should we say, how much the, the oils, you know, with the herbs in the middle of that, the oils and even the candles and the waters like held the energy. And what another thing, the, the uh, sort of an unexpected benefit of that was being able to just get a little bit of the, like, let's say it's a Jupiter series. Um, let's say Jupiter and Pisces. We obviously did some Jupiter and Pisces stuff, right? Like with a stone, you know, the benefit, but also the issue is that you're literally carrying that with you the entire time you're carrying it. And it's just on. Whereas being able to like get a boost of a particular thing for like an hour or two or an evening, or put um, it on an important it, letter. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It is a huge advantage. You know, I was just thinking when before uh, Kate started the project, I, I was sort of I, again, you know, I'm, I'm a little Saturnian about things. I was like, you know, more permanent is better. But I was like, oh, there are advantages to impermanence and be, to be able to like put something on and then have it not just be on the whole time. Because one of the one of the challenges with talismans is it takes a while in some cases to like learn how to wear it to like mesh with that energy and hold it and not have it overwhelm you etc cetera, etc cetera. um whereas um you know you have a, a a different set of opportunities um you know environmental with candles or you know um for a period of time with oils or a quick change with uh with a water etc cetera, etc cetera. it was really interesting i've learned a bunch yeah. And to yeah. infuse it in your house before guests come over and like it's a whole yeah. thing. Put a little Dinabel Getty outside your door. You just Always. Trace oh my God. Sigil. We put so okay, can I tell you this one story really quick? We put some there there was a new house next door and we were like, we have to, we can't have just like any kind of neighbor. So we put Dinabel Getty around their house and it took a very long time for it to sell. That's all I'll say. But nice. we have amazing neighbors. <laughs> Well behaved, I imagine. We felt you very. We felt very taken care of. So there's a Jupiter and Pisces. I guess that's the next one that's launching. As you guys had done a Jupiter and Pisces series, and that's going to launch on Monday, July 26, 2021. So it may already yeah, with, be out with the moon. With the moon's last conjunction to Jupiter mm. and Pisces. Nice. One of the this Sweet. is this one is back from May. This is within a week of ingress. Mm. I'm very excited about this one. I've been I've been using this a lot. I made a I made a bunch of stones for it that won't be for sale, um, but I really like it. Um, this was uh, this one 
I got the uh, I got the moon besieged by benefics, mm. right? So it's the moon moving between Jupiter and Venus, Jupiter in the tenth whole sign and quadrant style on Jupiter's day and hour. A couple other tweaks. Um, really, really happy with it. Cool. All right. Gorgeous. Well, people can check that out at spherensundry.com, and there's a bunch of other um, things from different series in the past that you can still get at this point as well. Uh, so thanks to Caitlin for sponsoring this episode and to Austin for picking out some awesome elections for those different series. Um, all right. So back to the forecast, I sort of started like getting into the second and third week, but I skipped over a couple of really important ingresses that we needed to mention. Um, the first of which is Mercury completing its trip through Leo and ingressing into Virgo by August 11th and returning to its home sign where it's actually traversing for the majority of the month of August along with Mars. Um, so Mercury in Virgo is like one of the sort of characteristic transits of this month, and especially that conjunction with Mars, which eventually culminates on August 18th at 12 degrees of Virgo. Mm. And right before it does that, it makes a fairly optimistic opposition to Jupiter. Yes. Um, that opposition right there, the from 28 Leo to 28 Aquarius on August 10th. It's moving so fast at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it hits that. Um, and then right around that time, we also not long after get Venus leaving Virgo and ingressing into Libra on August 15th or 16th. Yeah. So, so it feels like a really interesting. I mean, Mars is there, of course, to like mess everything up, but Mercury is also separating from the sun. And so it feels like this moment where there's some things that are in their proper place as Mercury and Virgo would like it to be, like with Mercury there and Venus in its own sign. And it feels like there's like a little bit of a, an ability to like get some really good work done, I think, with that Mercury Mars situation. Um, and then with the Venus in Libra, it just adds this really nice kind of note of harmony and beauty and enjoyable things, which I think probably benefit from with all of that Virgo. Yeah, because even though there can be a, a combative tone to Mercury-Mars conjunctions, um, I think Mercury being in its own sign during the course of that um, has the potential to channel some of that energy a bit more constructively as you know, focused um, movement and uh, acting with intention and, and greater direction than one might at other times in your life. If you're able to channel it in a constructive manner, mm, the Mercury Mars, yeah, yeah, because Mercury is running the show, so it's like in Virgo, like let's get down to the particulars and actually do something with all that energy. Yeah, it's very like ferocious analysis, like yeah, um, yeah, uh, um, yeah um, like it, it brings a sort of intense. Uh, martial military quality to the mercurial like the mercurial is the main thing and then is the you know, and then mars is the the modifier to that right um but like fierce analysis um uh i don't know like intense editing <laughs> right like i i can see I, I don't know i can see people in i don't know laboratories or writing code just like you know making kind of anime faces uh like anime intense faces and flames jetting out of their their hair um 
yeah, it's there are so I I do agree that Mercury being in its sign and exalted um, pushes it towards the constructive, but there, there's certainly still the Mercury Mars like sharp tongue, um, the you know uh, slander. Um, one of the classical indications of Mercury Mars is lawsuits, um, accusations, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure there will be, you know, uh, perhaps not in uh, a person's individual sphere, but there will certainly be slander and accusations of wrongdoing in the news. Right. And that kind of like inflammatory way that what we say yeah. has that edge to it and has that like a little bit of heat to whatever's going on and also like the mind. I mean, I think, you know, Mercury and Virgo is amazing, obviously, but it's also like Virgo just so can go into overdrive so easily. And with Mars there, it kind of gives it more of that gas so that there's like, we didn't need all those details, actually. <laughs> like, that was a little oh, too yeah. much information. And like, that's <gasps> right. a little extra. Let's sit down now. Well, and you can, you can just imagine page. the like the yeah. discussions about like, you know, what's going on with a particular situation going from, I, well, we disagree to like, no, it's important that you know you're wrong. Specifically right? why? No, it's important that yeah. you know you're wrong. Yeah. You know, these are my data points. The 10 page email with yeah. expletives uh, outlining like in 20 steps, like why you're wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, I like to even mention intense editing. That's a good one for this and the construction constructive function. Cause as a creator, as a writer, it's often good if you're not also editing yourself, but if you get, for example, if you do a movie and you have a director and they film a bunch of stuff and they shoot like 20 hours worth of video, there has to be the editor who steps in and knows what to cut and what to get rid of in order to make it flow in a way that's good. And, and every movie that you've ever seen that's really good is often good because there was somebody that was the editor that knew when to exercise that cutting function of Mars and to step in and to take some pieces out or get rid of them, which sometimes the creative person doesn't experience as like a positive thing or is like, no, I don't want to let go of that. Um, but sometimes it's like a necessary function, even if it can sometimes be difficult or, or unwanted. Right. So on yeah. the way to the conjunction with Mars, that function might be on overdrive where we're like, we cut away too much. Or like, you know, and you're like drawing something and you take the eraser to it and then you just like tear the page. Right. It's a less good time to generate or create, um, a better time to go back over what you've done. I really like that you brought the, the cutting, um, like cutting, you know, cutting or editing in Chris. Cause you know, that, that term comes from film. Literally, you had to cut the film. You had to chop that, that sequence out. And there was the cutting room floor because that you literally had to chop it and it, they right. just drop it on the floor until it got cleaned up. Yeah, because there are a lot of the great, you know, films like um, you know, Star Wars and George Lucas, a lot of people say that that was like saved in editing or that it would have been much different right. film if it hadn't been edited or some of like Quentin Tarantino worked with um I'm forgetting her name right now, but this this very famous editor and she edited all his early films, but in the she she passed away sadly a few years ago and people have noted a, a stark difference between the editor that he did work with in his early career versus um, whoever he's been working with uh, recently. Hmm. So yeah, the, just thinking about that and meditating on that of the function of editing and knowing when to cut something out in your life that will be constructive versus the opposite, like sort of going nuts and cutting too much out or, or severing ties with somebody or saying that first 
cutting remark that comes to mind, and that maybe being something that you regret saying later once you've sort of calmed down. Um, but that mm-hmm. feeling in the moment sometimes to make a cutting remark, not always being the best idea. Not realizing that you're going to draw blood. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually brings up the electional chart that I wanted to highlight this month. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if anyone wanted to, yeah, not draw blood. I'm not recommending not that. Right. Metaphorical blood. Um, so our electional chart for this month um, is set for August 26th, 2021 at 12.35 a.m. So actually shortly after midnight in whatever your location is with Gemini rising. So the chart features Gemini rising and Mercury ruling the ascendant placed in Virgo in the fourth whole sign house in a night chart. So it has that conjunction still with Mars, which is co-present in Virgo with Mercury and the Sun, but it's a night chart which is significantly cooling down and um, making Mars a little bit more constructive, and it's also separating from the conjunction with Mars rather than still applying to it. Um, We've also got a nice uh, placement of Venus in the fifth whole sign house in its home sign of Libra in a night chart. So there's some good fifth house things in terms of creativity and other Venus-related activities that this chart would be good for. Um, since it's a strong Mercury election, I think it would be good for most things involving Mercury, but especially if you have something like that in terms of writing or communicating, as well as those uh, sort of executive functions of editing or cutting things out and other things of that nature. Um, the moon's up in Aries in the 11th whole sign house, applying to a sextile with Jupiter at 26 degrees of Aquarius. In our location for Denver, we set the midheaven right on Jupiter, but that's kind of optional just depending on where your location is and where the midheaven's going to be. Just don't put it too close to Saturn over there at 8 degrees of Aquarius in a night chart because that could stunt um, some of the actions that you might want to take with this chart otherwise. Uh, yeah, so that's the electional. Well, so oh, pause ahead. for a second. There's something particularly nice about that. So the moon there, if my eyes do not deceive me, the moon is actually in between aspects to benefics. So we've got a benefic enclosure on the moon. Its last exact aspect was to Venus, and its next will be to Jupiter. Yes, uh, that is. If if you if you don't believe Pluto counts, which I sometimes don't. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for just paying attention to visible aspects when you're talking about enclosures and yeah, separating from that opposition to Venus and then applying to the sextile with Jupiter. So this chart was found by Drew Levanti, who co-hosted the Auspicious Elections podcast with me this month because Lisa was out of town visiting family. So we also found four or five other electional charts, some that are good Venus and Libra charts, some Saturn and Aquarius charts. Since we're starting to have day charts again where those are possible. Um, so people can find that on the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is available through our page on Patreon at patreon.com slash astrology podcast. Um, yeah. And that would be was, a good chart for like doing some kind of healing, lineage healing thing too. Yeah. There's a heavy fourth house emphasis, which yeah. um, could be like home, living situation, but also family, ancestry, things which are private, or even things which are. Hidden or not meant to be seen or not meant to be sort of publicly visible, even if they are important or strong in their setting a sort of strong foundation for you. Yeah. Like if you want to do like a cord cutting ceremony or something like that. At yeah. Mm. 
sometimes that's necessary, and sometimes yeah, cutting ties in some way can be um, necessary in healing. Yeah. So thinking about that and the, and the necessity sometimes of cutting something out of one's life, and when that's constructive as opposed to when that's destructive, mm-hmm. that might be one of our major themes this month with that Mercury transit with mm-hmm. Mars. Yeah, yeah, I like that that cutting idea. Maybe, um, maybe like for being cutting like we're not out. coming home for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, 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 uh, so to, to take it outside of, or to take it to a different place than, um, I don't know, ancestral trauma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, you could also like there are things that you know often we want to cut out of our lives, like you know, a habit that we know is rooted mm-hmm. in deeper feelings, but we're, yeah. you know, we're like, I'd love to not feel those. So I'm going to keep up with this habit, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's watching too much TV or eating candy or, you know, smoking cigarettes or whatever mm-hmm. it is like cutting that out with mm-hmm. that, that Mars Mercury mm-hmm. in the fourth that, yeah. um, that makes a lot of sense. It was like a foundational good. Yeah, something, something, you know, is connected to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The yeah. the like that like band aid whatever mm-hmm. whatever you made the band aid out of. Mm. Um, so this is reminding me also of something I wanted to mention briefly in passing related to Mercury and Virgo, and it was just making me think about books and talking about the the process of like editing and things like that. Um, but the other day, um, Mecca Woods posted on Twitter this quick mm. tweet about um, the Women's Prison Book Project and was saying that they have an influx of requests for astrology books, but they actually have very little of them on hand to send out to women who are in prison and who who are looking for book donations. So I actually wanted to recommend, and I got the contact information and asked them about it and asked if it would be okay, and they said it would be. So if anybody wants to donate astrology books to this project, um, I think this would be a really great project to donate books to. So it's the women's so so send them to the Women's Prison Book Project at 3751 17th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55407. Or you can find out more information at WPBP.org. Uh, the only requirement is just no hardcover books. It should only be softcover books because most prisons don't allow hardcover books. Um, ideally, they want them to be general purpose, like instructional astrology books, and not ones that are just for specific signs or for specific dates, like your astrology for 2019 or something that's just going to age out really poorly. Um, I sent a couple boxes of my book over there, but I'm hoping we could just like flood them with astrology books, like good astrology books, and then um, I think that would you know be very. Helpful, but also just I can imagine that there would have been an uptick in interest in astrology books over the past few years, just due to the general popularity of astrology. But um, if nobody's donating them, then they don't really have any to send out. Will they take gently used books? Did you find out? They will take used books as long as they're in good condition. I think that's the only thing is just hopefully send like good condition astrology books and not ones that are falling apart. Yeah. All right. So. Um, check out the website for more information about that, and people can also make donations, or they have like a a wish list or a wanted list that you can buy books so, from there as well. Quick question, Chris: Is this um, like an ongoing thing, or is there is this like a a drive where it'll be over? Because I'd, I'd like to send some of the second edition of Faces, but that's going to be a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a, an ongoing thing. If anybody listens to this at any point in the future, it's. Um, 
something that's been going on for years. It's like a volunteer and a nonprofit organization that donates um, books to women that are in prison or women that are incarcerated. So uh, yeah, anytime in the future, if you want to send books in, just feel free to send a box or however many boxes that you want, and they will gladly accept them, and then they'll send them to different places around the country. All right, cool. So that's my Mercury in Virgo announcement for this month. We're getting into the later half and the later portions of like the last week or two of the month at this point, right? Yeah. So yeah, right before should... Venus goes into Libra, it makes a really nice trine to Pluto. And like that Venus and Virgo is with is with um Mercury for a bit and Mars, of course. But there's that kind of like alchemical or maybe even transformative, like Venus having been in Virgo for a second, very like priestess vibes, what kind of like self reunification, purification, kind of like rituals are you up to? And then moves into Venus. Austin, what were you going to say? I cut you off. Oh, no, you didn't. I don't think you did at least. I Oh, actually, I, I was probably making a face like I wanted to say something, <laughs> but I don't think to. I actually started. Yeah. I, I was going to say like, um, um, I was going to say, oh, let's not skip that second, um, that second full moon. But this is before that, so that's yeah. Why sorry, I didn't say there's this really like no, no. you know that's a pretty Virgoan moment to have Mercury, Mars, and and Venus all there, and they all like skip through those outer planets on their way out. It's like that one, two, three kind of thing. So Venus does that third thing where it's a, maybe an easier kind of, or I don't know if it's easier, but had that opposition to Neptune and then goes to the trine to Pluto. So it's like kind of unearthing something. I always think of like part of Venus and Virgo as being very kind of connected to or tied to oneself for that kind of like marriage to the self. Um yeah, look and at that. So, the the Moon Venus conjunction at twenty four Virgo, Virgo yeah. occurs like right at the same time as that trine with Pluto at twenty four Capricorn. Yeah, yeah. Let's oh, be able to before... see that right after sunset. Mm -hmm. What were you about to say, Jenny? Oh, I thought Virgo. I thought Mercury was already there, but it's it's just about to be there. It's moving super fast, so it moves in like within a day or within twenty four hours of that. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. And so then shortly clean after that, room. clean up your room. That's a good Venus and Virgo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like rearranging elders, things. Weed your gardens, clean your bedrooms. Yeah. Both literally and met and metaphorically. Yeah. Um, then we get Venus ingressing into Libra on August 15th. Um, so Venus returning to her home sign where she's going to spend the rest of the month of August. Uh, do you, either of you have feelings about that? We do have a nice trine then from Venus in Libra trining Saturn from eight degrees of Libra to eight degrees of Aquarius on August 23rd. So I like some of the aspects that Venus is making um, during its trip through Libra. Yeah, I love that trine. Yeah, it's like a, you know, like a like a perfumed breeze blowing in and like sedating and mellowing the uh the atmosphere mm. yeah and that's so they're kind of it's like venus is has that superior trine overcoming saturn and jupiter 
is all the way back to like 26 Aquarius at this point. So it's like both of the benefics are kind of surrounding and, and really improving Saturn's condition in Aquarius at this point. And as its exalted ruler in or in its exa- in its sign of exaltation, it's a nice flow that's happening. Mellow Saturn out for a second, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's like the trying to Saturn I, I see as not amazing for Venus, but wonderful for Saturn. Like Saturn is very soothed by that. Also worth noting that Saturn is in a Venus ruled decan at this point, so will be additionally mm, receptive. Nice. So it's a It'll good be time okay, to Saturn. like make beauty, like create, like manifest it, bring it into form, or commit in some way to some kind of. Or yeah, to take some of those structural adjustments that we've been talking about and like mm. um, take them to the level of like elegance and design, right? Because there's like the bones of a house, um, mm-hmm. but you know, or a property or whatever structural metaphor or instance you want. But then there's the like making it nice, yeah, right. And that maybe the commitments or the what the work of it is a little easier, a little bit more pleasing, a little bit more mm. pleasurable with Venus there for a second. That's a great point. Yeah, the commitment, like part of um, putting Saturn at ease is feeling good about your commitments. Yeah, right? you're doing you a know, great the, job, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, no, I'm really right. glad I'm doing this. Sure, it's hard sometimes, but like this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happily, uh, yeah, I'm happily committed to this person, this project, yeah. this life, this whatever it is. Yeah, it's like food for the journey kind of thing. Mm. Like a little affirmation. When that affirmation sometimes makes all the difference and and maybe remembering that, that those little affirmations really do help and can make a seemingly insurmountable task seem slightly less insurmountable. Yeah, I think they're essential. Mm -hmm. Right. So that would be a good thing for people to think about and keep in mind as we go through the last part of the month, yeah. you skip. You skip past the full moon again. Uh, I know. I keep <laughs> wanting to. Yeah, that Aquarius, and it's the the positive ones. This we're talking about the the same time frame, but that's the second Aquarius full moon in one month. So it actually fits the original definition of a blue moon, which is like you know, in calendar mm. terms, a full moon that happens in the same calendar month, but in no. astrological terms, no. Wait. Oh, yes. Sorry. Sorry. Wait. We're in August now. When we're talking, no. The full moon's yeah. in July. The first Aquarius month f- in July. First Aquarius, yeah. Um, but just the second one in the same sign happening in Aquarius one month later and at late in late August. Oh, I thought it had to be in the same calendar month. That's not true. Well, yeah, that's the classical like definition of a oh, blue moon is in the same calendar month. I'm just saying, like, if we were to apply that to astrology, we it can would still be- sing the song. Yeah, we can still sing the song, but just about it being in the same zodiacal sign. Yeah. So here it is at 29 degrees of Aquarius on August, looks like 22nd for most people. It looks like it'll take place on the 22nd of August. So this was the more positive full moon that we were kind of talking about and comparing favorably to the more tricky full Aquarius full moon at the very end of July that was much closer to Saturn. Um, this one instead is taking place at 29 degrees of Aquarius in a pretty close conjunction to Jupiter at 26 degrees of Aquarius. And it looks like that morning, as it's going exact, the morning of August 22nd, 
right before sunrise, you'll see Mm -hmm. um, in the night sky, the Sun-Jupiter conjunction will be setting over the western horizon. And then, yeah, the moon. And just after that, the sun will rise at sunrise over the eastern horizon in Leo as that um, full moon is is going exact. Yeah. Yeah, it's good, right? So we have all of the all of the dynamics that we just talked about with the Venus Saturn trine, mm-hmm. right? That mellowing Saturn, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but and that's uh, that's additionally useful here because this is a Saturn ruled full moon in the sign that Saturn's in. Um, this is the like all benefics in attendance version of the the July full moon in Aquarius. I prefer this one. Yeah. And Mars is tucked away. So that's cute. Yeah. And Mercury's past that conjunction with Mars. Like there's still, you yeah. know, there's still some some fire, cute. but it's like Mercury is getting 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 to act more independently. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a nice moment. And probably some of all that benefic stuff is in some ways signaling here's your here here is isn't it excuse me, here is how nice it is to figure things out. And to put them, you know, to implement solutions, to do workarounds, like you got all this information about all the problems in these fixed areas, and then you probably try to do something about it. And then here you go. Sometimes when you <laughs> when you work on things, they get better. And right. it feels way better. Yeah. So you could even use this first full moon or like think about the first full moon in Aquarius and like take notes. And then work towards the second, work to adjust towards the second full moon in Aquarius in the same part of your chart. Yeah, and, totally. And allow that Jupiter to give you a little boost. So the first uh, full moon at the end of July in Aquarius and whatever part of your chart is might be the identification of problems and exercising the, the critical function of Saturn. And the second full moon towards later part of August in Aquarius is the implementation of solutions. Mm-hmm. That will come much easier, or at least be aided in some way. Yeah, and some of the some of the earlier some of the fixes that aren't long term might already be bearing fruit by right. uh, by this time. Yeah. Mm. All right. Interesting. I like that. And if so you have very- any planets in those late degrees of Aquarius, they're going to get an interesting highlight and also like a bit of a lift. Like this would be the 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 second well depending on the degrees but it might be the second time that jupiter's come back to it and then with a full moon added there then it could give you maybe an interesting piece of news or something like that around the full moon yeah highlighting or putting a spotlight on that area of your chart but also bringing some optimism and stabilization of things with jupiter returning back to it where it just like quickly ran over that point earlier in the year right yeah so a little bit of how do I put this? Um, relief for the beleaguered fixed sign natives. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Who've, you know, gone through it, <laughs> especially when by the time we're recording now, you know, at the end of July, it's been rough. Yeah. But um, help, help is on the way. Momentarily. Yeah. Some help, you know, <laughs> no, no, nothing's permanent. Yeah. Yeah. We will, we will take what we can get, I, I will say, as a, as a Aquarius rising native. So, <laughs> um, so right after that, it's, it's interesting in terms of the sequence, um, not major astrology, but of course, as happens around every time, this time of the year, 
um, the sun immediately after that full moon switches into Virgo, and we have the end of Leo season and the beginning of Virgo season by the 23rd of August. So there's a, a shift in the seasons immediately after that lunation, um, which is kind of an interesting shift at that time as well. It's very, so, it's very back to work. Mm. I mean, because you know, there's been this very, you know, the, the Mercury and Mars and Virgo are definitely, it, it's very, how should we say, work, like working on something, um, you know, whatever. Um, you know, Virgo has this nice ability to look at what needs to be done, right? Like what needs to be accomplished um, and to not spend so much time on the self. Like sometimes it's great to spend time on the self, but sometimes the the matter at hand, it's it's not about you. It's about, you know, um, about getting it done. Um, and that will, you know, that may benefit the self, um, but the sun's movement into Virgo, joining them, it's, you know, it really reinforces the, okay, like, wasn't that wonderful? Like, let's get it done now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that brings up in that shift something I was thinking about the other day when I was driving down a narrow street and there was another car that was coming and there's only enough room for one of us to go. And I ended up just like pulling over and yielding so that this other car could like come down the street. It was making me think about the debate that astrologers have been having for a while about what to call the odd and even signs. And it was making me think of like yielding for the even signs, but then I wasn't sure if like unyielding is was the best term to use for the odd signs, or if there is a, a term that would be better that would be the opposite or an antonym of yielding. You mean instead of gendered terms? Is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah. Basically. What do what do you use? I know Austin and I have had this debate before and he tends to go with like yin and yang as his preferred terms. Do you think, have you settled on that? I mean, I think of them and like in like nocturnal and diurnal kind of fashion, so I think I probably hang out there more. Mm, okay. Than anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go yielding because um, there could Earth, be a, yeah. Um, Earth signs, for example, especially if we look at Capricorn, is not yielding. It's not mm. like racing at you, but it's like no, you can go around me, or you can figure a way around me. There's you know, Capricorn has an ability to hold position. Um, which is anything but yielding. Mm, right. That's a good point. Um, I guess I was thinking about Virgo here, just in this switch from like Leo season to Virgo season. And sometimes the helpful but like somewhat yielding function that Virgo can take, um, which some people might label as like passive, but it's not necessarily always passive um, per se. It's, yeah, I would say it's adaptive. Yeah. And adaptive. internally busy. Right. Yeah. Eternally and internally busy. Eternal eternally busy. That's a good keyword for for Virgo. So, um all right, so let me pull the calendar back up for this later part of the month. Um we've talked about Mercury and Virgo, we've talked about Venus going through Libra and we've talked about our final lunation. What is the very last thing we have to mention this month in terms of uh, the astrology of August. Um, well, Mercury ingress. Are we already there? Mercury ingress is into yeah, um, yeah. Libra also at that. I like last that part. Corner, yeah. All right, so we're into our final ingress of the month, 
which here it is, with Mercury eventually finishing up with Mars, and it's still moving pretty fast at this point, but it makes an ingress by looks like August 29th, August 30th, into the sign of Libra, where it joins up with Venus. It's a nice shift from being, even though it was in its own sign and really strong there, it's can be kind of harsh, a little like it, it, like it, you know, in Virgo, Mercury can just like strip everything away and, and being with Mars, I think any of its, any of that kind of like of its capacities might be a little extra scouring with that kind of combo. And so once it moves into being ruled by Venus and Venus is there, there's something a little, well, there's obviously a, a, a very distinct change in focus from like, what's wrong? What's missing? What did we forget? What did we leave out to like, oh, wow, how, how, how lovely or how, like, how can I put this situation? How can I, what can I bring to the party to balance it out? What can I add to the mix to sweeten everything? How can I help kind of ease um, connections between folks? Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly much more fortuitous for social gathering. Mm-hmm. Right, because you know, if you're going, if you're, if there's a gathering where people are going to talk, then Mercury is involved. Um, you'll have much more pleasant conversations <laughs> once Mercury goes into Libra. Yeah. And Chani, did you did you use the term scouring for Mercury yeah. and Mars and Virgo? I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like what is it, steel wool? Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. And there, there's some, there's some things you have to, you have to bust out the steel wool to get off. Definitely, and then you can ruin the thing completely. Right, but you don't want to like. You know that, that that that's not that's a not so gentle exfoliation, right? Right. Yeah. So, so that's it's good for like research, maybe like getting down through the layers of things. That's why, like your that electional chart, Chris. It's like you could be really kind of like peeling back the layers of something with that chart, with like getting down to the core, the roots of something. Not even necessarily like familial or ancestral or anything like that, but just like getting down to something. But if you um, apply it to yourself, like how you relate to yourself or how you relate to others. It can be a little fraying. Yeah, getting to the bottom or getting to the core of something, but it can be an intense or a process that's a little bit rough or abrasive. I guess is one of the keywords yeah. that's coming from the steel wool analogy. Is there's an abrasiveness <laughs> to that chunk of the month of Mercury going through Virgo, but then when we have right. this, and it's ingress, only doing its the- job. You know, it's like it's in, yeah. that's its job. That's what it's supposed to do. Right. But then there's this shift to more of a softness or a sweetness to Mercury, is some of the keywords that you're using once it sw- switches into Libra in this part of the month. Or at least a lightness, like a little, some butterflies. Yeah, I would say hanging grace, out. maybe. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Graceful and diplomatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I like that. And that is basically setting up our shift into. The month of of September, uh, so we kind of end on that that sweet note or a graceful note of Mercury moving into Libra at the very very end of August. So, yeah, things it seems like things start out a little bit more and more challenging with some of the configurations in late July and the early part of August. But then we start hitting some more flowing ones um, towards the later part of August and that other full moon in Aquarius later in the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like it takes uh, almost the first two weeks of August to get done with all of July's um, 
after effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we skipped over. So August 28th, 29th was important. And I meant to mention because there's actually an astrology summit that's happening on those two days on the very tail end of Mercury um, in Virgo. And this is the very last fre- Fresh Voices in Astrology Summit, which is taking place uh, the 28th and 29th of the month. Um, so I'm excited about that. That's been a series that's been ongoing for the past year or two, um, hosted by Kira Taborn, and um, she's stepping down soon in order to pursue other projects, but they're going to go out with a, a big bang um, and have an amazing lineup um, with a bunch of really amazing speakers that represent up-and-coming astrologers in the astrological community that are presenting on a variety of different topics. Um, so it's actually a free conference where you can attend this, and they're going to be doing a bunch of lectures over the course of two days on August 28th and 29th, and you can attend them free um, just by showing up basically and going to uh, freshvoicesinastrology.com. Um, they also have some passes where if you want to support the pro- project or get access, longer access to the recordings or even download the recordings, you can sign up for an all-access pass to pay like a nominal fee in order to get access to that stuff. Um, but otherwise, it's a completely free conference with, with a bunch of amazing astrologers and amazing lectures. So I highly recommend checking out. The last ones have been a lot of fun. Um, I'm sad that it's going to be going away, but it's been like a really great run at this point. And I've met a lot of and heard of a lot of great astrologers that I didn't know about before uh, as a result of it. So props to Kira for for running that over the course of the past year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, although this is somewhat beside the point, like shout out for to whatever graphic designer put that together. I really Kira. like the circle. <laughs> right. Oh, Kira did that. Yeah, Kira is okay. like not uh, only a phenomenal you, yeah, um, astrologer, but also I love the font designer. choice. I love yeah. the um, the circle of uh, mm-hmm. of people, uh, the circle of portraits rather than like the grid. Um, yeah, I. I that's that's a that's a fine looking advertisement right there. I mean, I'm assuming it's Kira because she has she is an artist, like she is a designer by trade. So, and I love all of her stuff. Yeah, I love um, Kira had some amazing design stuff since the beginning, since the her Influx magazine, which I think she's going to be bringing mm-hmm. back at some point. Yeah, um, but always works with really good people. So thanks to Kira for organizing that, and also for Tony Howard, which got that going. Mm-hmm. Um, partially in conjunction with Astrology University. Um, yeah, just it's been wild uh, seeing all of the new astrologers and the influx of young astrologers into the community. What, what's your experience been of that, Chani? Like me and Austin and Kelly have been like just remarking about it for the past two or three years now, how wild it's been to see that huge influx, but you've seen it from a whole of like a different perspective. I've seen it from a different perspective. Yeah, or, or what has your perspective been? Like somebody I mean, was asking, I feel for example, like I like. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say somebody was asking about the first queer astrology conference, for example, and it just made mm-hmm. me think about that from how a group of of astrologers met up in like 2012 at UAC and just saw a real like lack of um, something that was missing from the mainstream organizations at the time. But yeah. instead of just like complaining about it, they just started something new and just created what was missing in the community. And yeah, I, I mean, thought that was very Ian impressive. Barry and I met like in the elevator and then at a party and then at a bar. And then we were like, we should have our own astrology conference. And we were like, yeah, let's call it the queer astrology conference. And then 
we did it for a couple of years. And then I feel like I put my head down and worked for, you know, four or five years. And I looked up and I was like, whoa, where did all these astrologers come from? This is incredible. And I actually have like, there's a bunch of people that wrote for the app um, that are all kind of part of that cohort. Kira is one of them. Um, Diana Rose Harper, who also was on one of your last episodes is another one. And just like, I'm just like, whoa, like, I wish I, you know, I think probably all said this. It's like, wow, like, this is incredible, like how much info they have at the ready and how everybody is just like dove in and like hoovered it up and like absorbed it and been able to put it to work in a way that I, you know, I am like, I'm in awe of. And I think that astrology is in incredible hands. And I, I love the community, you know, based approach to most things that's happening. And the, you know, it's like, it's an important, it's an important moment for the field and to go through. I think it's like, there's a, I know there's been, there's like different points of tension and there's different, like all sorts of um, moments of realizing how the industry it's, or I don't know what we want to call it, but how the, the shape of astrology as a business and as a everything as a group, as a collective experience, as a body of work, needs to also be like pushed forward and broadened and stretched and like inhabited by many different um, versions of us. And so it's, it's, it's gorgeous. I just, I'm so, I'm, I'm thrilled, you know, it's like, and I'm, I'm just a fan of so many um, folks that are coming out and learning so much, you know, it's like, it's really beautiful also to watch people go into their own like specific kind of domain of astrology and feeling like how wide and uh, spacious it is. I don't feel like we, I don't know. I I don't know how you both feel, but I don't feel like I had that when I was starting out. It was like astrology. (laughs) It wasn't like you could go into like, you know, all of these, all the different branches just starting out. And then within all the different branches, there's so much there too. So, um, I obviously am like a tradition junkie. So I love that these folks, you know, that kind of cohort is too. And that, that the, that the roots of everything are being, um, claimed, reclaimed, you know, looked at, studied, understood and honored. I feel like it's a really, it's a, a deep honoring of where it's all from and what it all means. Yeah, that was something I found really touching about the end of your book was you thanked um, more than anybody else, Demetra, and the effect Demetra and her teachings have had on you, um, especially partially in terms of traditional astrology. Yeah, you want me to cry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Demetra. I could talk about how much I love Demetra probably all day long. Um, I think she is. She's just. It's rare that you meet somebody that is that generous. I mean, like that she, I don't, I don't, the way she worked for so long, just sitting like student by student, one by one and making sure that like, I understood what she was talking about. It was just, it, I, I got in, in a moment, like, I know she doesn't really do that anymore. Um, I don't think she does anyways. She told me I can't study with her anymore. She fired me. So, 
<laughs> but, um, you know, to have that, to have that transmission, I think she's really, you know, that's her thing. And so, um, not only like her deep wisdom and just like volumes of knowledge and her lived experience, but also her graciousness as a teacher and her generosity as a teacher, um, has, has it changed my life, I will say. Yeah. For sure. I, I would also add that one of the things I've long admired about Demetra was that um, she was a very successful, um, like psychological sort of modern astrologer um, and encountered the um, Hellenistic material as it was really just getting, starting to be. Uh, meaningfully unearthed and was willing to totally change gears or add a new gear. And um, I believe at that point she like literally did a, a whole program so she could read ancient Greek and like to reconfigure um, and to make room for something as, you know, as big and sometimes intimidating uh, as traditional astrology, when you're already successful, when you're not 25 and just figuring out what you want to be, um, the level of like flexibility and, should we say, commitment to the art that that always um, uh, proclaimed to me. I've, I've always had a lot of respect for that, in yeah. addition to the, the things that you've said, Chani. Yeah, the rigor yeah. and the adorable laugh after she tells you something very grim and dark. <laughs> Her the Demetra uh, giggle. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> right. Um yeah, and she was she was several decades into her career and being willing to be presented with something new, but something that was radically different, but we being willing to set everything aside in order to learn that and try to incorporate that. I think that is a great model to follow because then she ended up being one of the first that really set the precedent for the synthesis of modern and ancient astrology that I think all of us represent in different ways or that people like us especially in our age generation roughly me being in my like late 30s and you guys in your early 40s um yeah that represent that synthesis or that first generation of synthesis and that Demetra led the way for that and interestingly or, or um coincidentally her solar return is actually in the next 24 hours. So her ah. birthday's her her actual birthday's two days from now. It's on July 25th. Today's July 23rd. But um her son is like late one something Leo and the sun is almost there now. So uh maybe a happy good birthday, time. Demetra. Yeah, happy yeah. birthday. This the sun wanted us to talk about you. Yeah. And say nice things. Yeah. The sun and apparently the full moon, because the moon literally just switched into Aquarius minutes mm. ago uh, wow. here. So um, we are at our first full moon in Aquarius that we we spent so much time talking about. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, all right. This was a lot of fun. Thank you both for doing this. Thanks, Chani, for, for joining us. I, it was Thanks really- Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I've been hounding you for years, Chris, to get on your right. show. Finally. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah, made yeah. it. Right. Now you now you've made it after like a, a New York Times like bestseller book or like an app that like hundreds of thousands of people are using. It was it was really doing the podcast that, that was like the high point of, of everything. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks, Austin. Thanks to our our live audience. There's been a lot of great comments and, and patrons have been posting stuff, and we appreciate you and appreciate all the feedback. Um 
Chani, what do you have coming up? Uh, you're working on your app and the, the Chiron rollout. Is that already live in the Chani app? I mean, God is willing it, as this okay. comes out, it's live. Oh, but there's all these people listening right now. Mm-hmm. When does this get posted? So this is going to be um, released. There's the live audience right now, and then it'll yeah. be released for early access for a few days through our page on Patreon. And then the final version will come out in a few days. So probably like July 25th, 26th or so. Is that Monday? Yeah. That is okay, Monday. Good. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. But yes, hope in a couple of days, it should be rolling out. Um, but yeah, we're just working on a lot of different upgrades and uh, new things for the app. So in the next couple of months, we'll have a lot of different um, functions and things to do. And we're working behind the scenes on a lot of like new kind of more robust content. And yes, yeah, all of that. Nice. Um, And people can find that in the iTunes or the Apple App Store, but just by searching your name for the Chani app. And also what's the URL for your website? Same, C-H-A-N-I-N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. Perfect. All right. Um, what do you have coming up, Austin? Do you have any classes or anything? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm finally um, going to launch my year one curriculum as a self-paced but with live session support thing. Um, and that's going to come out on the 21st of August. Nice. All right. And your website is austincopic.com. Yep. Brilliant. Oh, and there's. I mean, it's a little redundant, but the. Um, um, the, the gloriously elected Jupiter series, the Jupiter and Pisces series, uh, comes out on Monday. So what is that? That's the 24th, 26th. Um, so that'll be good. We have to like well, set actually, our it, alarms. It is good. I, I have some here with me, but, uh, uh, it'll be good for the rest of you too. Is there uh, candles? <laughs> beginning on Monday. Uh, Sorry, what? Is there candles? Yeah, there are atomic candles. Okay. That's the thing I'm always like trying to get. It's like trying to get the new. Fendi makeup. Or I really like the, the candles. Candle. I Kate, love the candles. Kate was not as excited about candles. She's like, "Really, you like these?" I was like, "Yeah, it makes oh, the whole room them. feel like yeah. the, the thing that it's supposed to." Yeah, um, and we were having such yeah. a hard time with something, and we did the Mars candle, and it just like it moved everything. It was amazing. Awesome. Yeah. There's a picture of one of the candles off there from the Jupiter and Pisces series that's launching Monday, probably the same day this episode drops. So people can check that out at SphereAndSundry.com. And as for me, I'm just going to start recording the audio version of my book, Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune. Oh my which is God, take, Chris, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. It'll take you seven yeah. years. It's going to yeah. take a while. Yeah, it took 10 years to write it, so we'll see how long it takes to record. But people have been asking for a while, and I'm, I'm finally going to break down and do it because everyone's been asking so politely and sometimes not very politely. Uh-huh. I'm going to send you like a 50-pound bag of cough drops, Yeah, okay. like, like a big that. dog food bag. Yeah. Did you do an audio version of yours, Jenny? Yeah. You oh, did. Me? did you re- yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Mine doesn't it's yeah, I did. But it's a lot it's a very like choose your own adventure, so I don't know how oh. it, how it you know, the listening of it. But Austin, okay. will you do 36 faces? No. That would be nice. I gotta, be so I, gotta get the I mean, I know you've got done. the workshop, but um I mean, I guess I don't know. I I think I would like somebody else to read it. Hmm. Somebody who's like a vocal performer of some sort. Right. I don't know. Like, uh, I think it like, needs you. Maybe if it was like James Earl Jones or something <laughs> like that. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll see if we can arrange that. Um, in the meantime, thanks everyone for listening. Good luck uh, next month in the astrology of August. And we'll be again, back again next month to talk about the astrology of September in a few weeks. 
So that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to all the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, Kristen Otero, and Sanjay Srihari. For more information about how to become a patron and get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes or private subscriber-only podcast episodes, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Special thanks also to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, Astrogold Astrology Software for the Mac operating system, which is available at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 for a 15% discount, the Portland School of Astrology, available at portlandastrology.org, Astrogold Astrology app for iPhone and Android, which is also available at astrogold.io, and finally, the Solar Fire Astrology Software program for Windows, which you can get from alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount.